Plugged In Podcast, presented by the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. I'm a policy analyst here at the Institute for Energy Research. On Thursday, April 22nd, IER senior economist Dr. David Kreutzer testified in front of the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs at a hearing entitled 21st Century Communities Capitalizing on Opportunities in the Clean Energy Economy. At the hearing, Dr. Kreutzer discussed the failures of past attempts to stimulate the economy by promoting clean energy and green jobs. Here is a recording of his testimony, followed by a short discussion with Dr. Kreutzer about his work on this topic. Dr. Kreutzer is recognized for five minutes. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Chairman Brown and Ranking Member Toomey and other senators, I want to thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to uh, address you. I'm David Kreutzer, and I'm Senior Economist at the Institute for Energy Research. We have been here before, all right? We've seen this movie. Twelve years ago, uh, President Obama promised to create three million new jobs. Right. As Senator Toomey pointed out, the $80 billion of the $787 billion stimulus package went toward supposedly creating these green jobs. There were all sorts of high-minded findings, uh, you know, the necessity to get people back to work. We were going to clean this up and do that and the other thing, just like we're hearing today. But the reality was much different. <clears throat> the, um, <clears throat> the program to do job training uh, was investigated by the Inspector General at the Department of Labor, and it found to be an, a, a fantastic failure. For instance, um, more than 20% of certificates given for green job training went to people that had one day or less of training. 47% of the certificates went to people that had five days or fewer of training. The people that administered these programs could not even document what the outcomes were for 24 to 44% of these job training programs. The number of trainees who entered employment was only 40% of the target. 38% of those who did get jobs through the job, green job training program had jobs before they went in. So the job training program uh, was supposed to be this great thing. It turned out to be a dud. The BLS did counts of the green jobs that were created. Remember, there was supposed to be 3 million new green jobs created. In their first report, they found, they said, 3 million jobs in total. Digging down into those shows that it was quite a farce. The second report, a year later, showed 2 million jobs, green jobs. So some reason a year later, they maybe became a little more honest. If we look at the definitions of what counted as a green job, we find that we have little confidence that even that 2 million was anywhere close. For instance, if we look in the utility sector, the, the power generation sector, the number of green jobs that were in there in total, 80% of those green jobs were in nuclear power. They, the, the stimulus package and the $80 billion from that that went to supposedly creating green jobs and the new green technology did nothing to create those nuclear jobs. There hadn't been any new nuclear plants for over 30, 30 years at that time. We look at the steel industry, which a few of us think of as being very green, though very much necessary in a good industry. They counted 50% of the jobs in the steel industry as green. And finally, this is, there was a long list, but probably the most ridiculous was the uh, acting director of the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, in a hearing in front of uh, Congressman Issa admitted that 
lobbyists for oil company, oil industry could be counted as a green job since they were educating on environmental issues. So the, the green job creation was uh, bogus. All right? It didn't happen. And the reports were so embarrassing that they were defunded. All right. They did spend that $80 billion, though. They didn't create the green jobs, but the money went somewhere. Who did it go to? It went to the politically well-connected and the economically powerful. In its postmortem on the Solyndra debacle, uh, the Washington Post wrote a story. This is a quote. The administration, which excluded lobbyists from policymaking positions, gave easy access to venture capitalists with stakes in some of the companies backed by the administration. The records show many of those investors had given to Obama in 2008 campaign. Some took jobs in the administration and helped to manage the clean energy program. Okay, so that disaster was, had political uh, initiation. Um, there's another example. There are many, many, but I'll just give one. Ivanpah, a solar thermal power plant in uh, California, um, was given a $1.6 billion, billion loan guarantee and a $500 million grant from the Department of Energy. Supposedly, these loan guarantees went to companies that uh, couldn't get financing for economically viable projects, which doesn't make sense. Here are the partners of that program, of that Ivanpah. Google, General Electric, Chevron, BP Alternative, Energy, Morgan Stanley, Draper Fisher, Jevetson, uh, and on and on. The aggregate market capitalization of those companies that got this, this loan guarantee and the grant was over a trillion dollars. So these programs went to people that didn't need the money for projects that didn't work out. All right, we're going to see that over again here if we continue with a more than doubling down. Instead of $80 billion, we're going to multi-trillion dollar programs. Thank you very much. I've run out of time. I look forward to your questions. Joining me now is IER's senior economist, Dr. David Kreutzer. Prior to joining IER, Dr. Kreutzer worked at the Heritage Foundation from 2008 to 2018, where he served as a senior research fellow in energy economics and climate change and as a senior research fellow in labor markets and trade. In 2017, he left Heritage for a few months to serve on the presidential transition team for the EPA. Uh, Dr. Kreutzer, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I wanted to discuss your testimony in front of the Senate committee from last week and uh, some of the recent spending proposals that are focusing on, uh, obviously, green projects and creating green jobs. And uh, obviously, front and center in this discussion is the Biden administration's infrastructure proposal. Yeah. I guess just to start, you know, what are your initial thoughts on this several trillion dollar uh, plan that they've tossed out there? Yeah, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, um, but you know, decades ago, uh, we would give our kids the Sears Christmas catalog before Christmas so they could they could pick out what they wanted. And I can remember my my middle child dutifully going through and checking off every single toy. <laughs> that that's what I think of when I think of this infrastructure plan. Um, not totally focused on infrastructure. Uh, it's a it's, it's a grab bag of everything you know the the Democrats have wanted ever. Um, but even even then, I say, you know, it's, it's a fool's errand to, to focus on what they're saying they're going to do. Um, it ends up being changed, you know, in committee a thousand times. And when everybody has finished saying all their high minded stuff about helping this group and that group, then the people from K Street rush in and you end up with something much different than what they promised. 
Yeah, with the uh, the buy American provisions and the union labor requirements, it seems to – if that stuff makes it in, it seems to be the least bang for your buck in terms of uh, how they're going to spend this money and more about rewarding their political constituency, I would say. Yeah, no, that's – yeah, the, the, the Buy American thing is always popular in, unless you happen to be an international economist or how I used to teach that and you realize, you know, that it's fundamentally flawed logic. Uh, unfortunately, we have people on both sides of the aisle really pushing that one. Um, and yes, it, it's the, the Buy American will be, you know, which things do we buy American? You know, which industry gets the most protection, uh, you know, when it comes to, to government expenditure and, uh, you know, tariffs and uh, maybe I hope we don't get import quotas, but who knows? One thing that we've pointed out at IER is that there's a lot of similar similarities between this bill and the 2009 stimulus bill. Um, in that they're focusing on clean energy and creating green jobs. Walk us through what happened with the 2009 stimulus bill. You've done, uh, when you were at Heritage, you did a lot of work on uh, tracking sort of how many jobs were created and what exactly right. happened there. So, yeah, first, the, the, the similarities are that they, you know, they hold up some needy group. Back in 2009, it was, you know, just barely coming out of a really, really sharp recession. And so it was, you know, we need to create jobs. And hey, why not make them green jobs? Um, and so you, you put forward a the stimulus package then was nearly $800 billion, um, 80 billion of which went to supposedly green job creation and uh, in, in green energy. Um, but the you know, what, what they ended up doing, of course, was not creating the green jobs. Um, President Obama promised 3 million new green jobs. Um, and so the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics was tasked with keeping track of this. And they couldn't, they couldn't find maybe two to three million jobs altogether with a huge stretch of a definition that you could call green, old and new. For instance, 50% of the jobs in the steel foundries were counted as green. There were 30 times as many green jobs in the septic tank and portable toilet servicing industry as in solar utilities. You know, now, we, now we need these people. I love the steel industry, I'm not bashing yeah, that. Absolutely. But nobody thinks of that as the new green job. And there's this notion that everybody's gonna be wearing you know, lab coats and making $100,000 a year and so on. And um, you know, I, I don't think if you look at all those jobs that they counted as green, it still didn't get to 3 million, even if you count the old ones, that they were the jobs that these welders that got fired on inauguration day from the KXL pipeline, you know, that they're, they're not going to be attractive jobs to go be a, the, the biggest category of green jobs was janitors. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we need janitors, love janitors. But if I'm making $100,000 a year, because I have welding skills and a lot of experience, um, you know, that's not going to make me happy. The shocking thing wasn't so much that, you know, this was a big spending program that wastes a lot of money. There's plenty of <laughs> programs like that, right. that <laughs> there are a dime a dozen in Washington. But the fact that, um, you know, afterward, when people looked into the success of it, the political process sort of, you know, came together to, I don't want to say cover it up, but, you know, uh, they, no, no, they did everything they could to, you know, change the terms of. Uh, right. What is a green job? You know, your your worst inclinations about government and politics and uh, the way that, you know, it, it sort of operates. You saw, yeah. saw all of this go to work here. 
Yeah, there, there were the, the, the uh, Department of Labor, there were four reports, two from the Inspector General on the job trainings program, two from the Bureau of Labor Statistics counting the green jobs. Now, the job training program were an embarrassment. Um, they, let's see, I have some numbers here. Um, job placement was only 10% of the target level. Participants who retain employment for at least six months met only 2% of the target level. But here are the ones I think people can give you a grasp of what a fraud it was. 20% of the certificates for green job training through the Department of Labor programs, which they, they farmed out to, you know, typically the unions that, that would do it. And it was more just a money laundering scheme to, uh, to, to for campaign money. But in any event, 20% of the jobs that got green certificates, excuse me, 20% of the certificates went to people that had one day or less of training. All right, 47% uh, went to people that had uh, five days or fewer of, tr of training. So that's the, well, I don't know what kind of green job you could be trained for in one day or five days, but not a very good one. Um, a third or more of the programs, they couldn't even account for the results. They didn't keep track of it. So to me, this is a clear sign that people didn't expect to be held to any standard, that this was just money shoved out to political cronies. Um, and yeah, so there 38% of the people that got jobs already had jobs. So that, that, that was a problem back then. So where did the money go? I guess that's probably the, the next question, right? Um, that's 787 billion pretty much got spent. Um, 80 billion of it in the green area. <clears throat> and it goes to the, the, the poster child uh, was Solyndra. You know, was this this absolute fiasco of a solar panel manufacturer? The people that started it were were uh, political um, politically well tied in to the Obama administration. Even the Washington Post had a story where they're talking about that. Uh, it was almost from day one clear that this technology had already been superseded by others. That this is no no private firm is going to lend them money, okay, without some sort of government guarantee. And they got uh, about a 535 million uh, loan guarantee, um, and they, they went bankrupt uh, two years later. They, they were they were it was never a good story, okay. So that's that's Solyndra, the poster child. My, my but my favorite example, uh, sort of the illustrating this, it was something called Ivanpah, which was a solar thermal plant. In, uh, in the California desert. And those, instead of having uh, photovoltaic panels, they focus with mirrors, solar energy on a particular point where they can heat up a fluid, a liquid that then is used to heat water to drive steam turbines, just like if you were burning coal. Um, it was a technology that right away didn't meet up to what it was supposed to have. So they had to start supplementing solar energy overnight they had to heat the liquid with natural gas. Now that was intended to be just in case clouds came by or whatever, but I did a calculation. The amount of natural gas they used had it been run through a reasonably modern coal-fired, I mean, excuse me, gas-fired power plant would have produced a third of the energy that they were counting entirely as solar. Okay, so you think, okay, bad project, who's getting the money? Well, it was a what I call a who's who of who shouldn't get you know government support. Um, members included you know big uh, financial banks in, in New York, Chevron, uh, Google, GE. Back then, the, the, this partnership had a market cap of a trillion dollars, and supposedly they couldn't find a 
billion dollars worth of capital for a project that ostensibly was market uh, viable. Yeah, and this is sort of what we should come to expect from these big spending bills, right? That when they when they go to sell it to the American people, they couch it in language of green jobs and it's we're going to help the everyday man. But um, what ends up happening is the people who have the least barriers, I guess, to uh, influencing the political process are the people who benefit the most. Right, right. I mean, we 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 don't, poor people. You know, don't have as much influence on the markets, but their influence in the political market seems to be even less. Um, and so, you know, it's the rich and well-connected that do well in uh, in the political market, also. Um, yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. So obviously, there's a lot of similar similarities between 2009 and today. Uh, the big difference, though, is the price tag. Uh, <laughs> we're talking trillions of dollars here, not billions of dollars. Yeah. What should we come to expect from you know such an enormous increase in just the amount of money? Just in in, in two thousand nine, again it was a, it was seven hundred eighty seven billion, almost eight hundred billion, some but less than a trillion. And of that, eighty billion was focused on the, the green energy, green jobs part. Um, this current one is multiple trillions of dollars, which are you know they claim is going to have an even bigger percentage of it on on green energy and green jobs. So you know we 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 shouldn't. I'm saying you know it's an order of magnitude worse. You know the 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 stuff that we had at eighty billion dollars isn't going to get any better because you spend trillions. That um, is just making the inefficiency, the, the cronyism, all that stuff gets amped up uh, hugely. And you know there's one. I, I didn't mention it earlier. Um, you know, the, in addition to right, the cronies and uh, you know the, the already rich and powerful getting more than their fair share of this stuff, another group that uh, that that really works out well are people that live in D.C. All right, if we if you go back to 1970, you know, to, to 2019, say the, where we have the most recent numbers, I mean, there's been a huge increase in the real spending of the federal government. All of it justified by helping, almost always helping poor people or helping, you know, get the economy going. Um, back in 2000, excuse me, in 1970, six of the 20 wealthiest counties in the in America were in the Midwest. Three of them were in the D.C. area. In 2019, nine of the 20 wealthiest counties were in the D.C. area, none of them in the Midwest. So the, the industrial heartland you know, hasn't done well by all of these programs. Now, there, there are a lot of things <laughs> that affect you know, the, the, the problems that they had in Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and so on. Um, but it certainly you know, clearly was not uh, totally helped by adding trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to the, the federal budget. Yeah, I think that's an important point that it, it's not just a transfer to uh, political constituencies, but the yeah. political class, actually, who's working to sort of maneuver, you know, who gets what. And uh, right. like you said, K Street, uh, once uh, once they get involved. Yeah, you know, no, yeah. The, yeah, yeah the, the, the people who one of the groups that definitely wins with big government programs are the people that run them and the consultants they hire. I remember uh, I just came to D.C. right before uh, the 2008-2000 the, the the recession really hit its nadir. And I was stunned. I mean, I'm driving across 14th Street Bridge, and I thought I it was like pictures of Dubai. You know, there are cranes everywhere. You know, and the the rest of the country is just you know sucking wind. And the DC is going great guns because they're doing all this spending. <laughs> so 
that you know that's where that's where the you know a lot of the money ends up and it doesn't go back to the rest of the country it stays in dc and so all of this sort of gets to a bigger argument that um obviously progressives tend to view the role of government in the economy is um there being an appropriate place for the government to sort of pick technologies that they want and right you know help along uh there's a belief that, you know, they can identify the uh, industrial sectors where may maybe we need to increase employment. Um, and, you know, to be honest, this view isn't just limited to people on the left. There's a lot of talk right. about industrial policy, even with people who are ostensibly on the right these days. You know, is, is there any reason to believe that government can do a better job of, you know, picking the right energy technologies um, than the market itself? And is there any reason why we should believe that the government's capable of picking where labor needs to to go in the workforce um, better than, uh, you know, no. sort of the market process <laughs> playing out on its own? Yeah, no, you know, one of, one of the first panels I was on in DC had both Cory Booker and a fellow named Van Jones. And at the time, there was also a mayor of Philadelphia who, in my mind, he was he was the, the sharpest one on the whole panel. And I haven't heard much from him since then. But Van Jones, I've, I've also interacted with him a couple of other times. By the way, I found him to be a really nice guy. I mean, uh, you know, you'd love to have him for a neighbor. And in my mind, it explains why he's been so successful with such stupid ideas. All right. Now, he's not stupid. But he, the big thing he was pushing in 2009 was let's match the people who need jobs with the jobs that need to be done. And he thought the government could do that. Well, that's what markets are constantly doing. And that's what they do pretty well. You know, the, the you know, businesses, you know, they're looking out for opportunities so they can provide services and goods, and they need to find the, you know, the inputs to make those. So that's constantly churning and churning. And they have skin in the game. The federal, you know, people running these programs don't have skin in the game. They don't lose their house if the program doesn't play out. You know, the, the businessman who makes a bad investment, you know, he, he goes out of business. A government bureaucrat that runs a horrible program doesn't go out of business. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's hubris of the highest order to think that, the, that we can decide that those of us you know, can make these huge plans that we direct centrally. Um, not, not much evidence to, su to support that as being a, a, a great way to do it. Is there anything uh, before we go that we haven't touched on here that, you know, as these debates about infrastructure and spending play out that you think is important for our listeners to pay attention to? Yeah, I, I think we, again, um, you need to be careful uh, about just the magnitude that we're talking about here, the magnitude of money that's, that's being spent and the fact that there's, sort of little accountability. It's sort of like anything you want to throw in there, um, you know, gets to be in there. Now, what happens when it all turns through, you know, goes from this committee on the Senate to that committee in the House and, you know, up and down K Street and, and for the listeners, K Street is where the, the sort of the, uh, all the lobbyists tend to hang out. Um, you, you'll, you'll end up with something that's going to be the, driving the benefits to the same group that always get them. It's just an order of magnitude bigger. And it's, it is not very helpful for the country. And uh, you know the, the debt levels at some point are gonna matter. You know, mo modern monetary theory aside, you, know, you can't extract this much from the private economy and direct it to the public economy. Uh, and I mean, you know, the government uh, and not have it matter.
Dr. Kreutzer, thank you for joining me today. Oh, good. Glad to do it. For listeners, I'll provide a link to the video of Dr. Kreutzer's hearing last week, along with a few links to some of his other work on this topic. And if you could, just please take the time to rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find our work. Thank you for listening. I'm Alex Stevens. 